Hello, friends. We are back of episode 145 of the Our Wiki Highlights podcast. Back on a somewhat regular schedule, at least. My name is Eric Nance, and as always, I'm delighted that you join us today from wherever you are around the world. And this is the show where we talk about the latest terrific resources that have found on this week's Our Weekly Issue. And I can never do this alone because um, I am joined by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Advent of code is in full swing. And that means that the year is almost over. It's pretty crazy to think about. feels like it, it flew by, um, but we're looking forward to, to 2024 and hoping to kick off that year well. Me as well. We were just rambling a bit in the pre-show about our end of year activities with various uh, work streams. And for those of you that are also in the midst of things like performance reviews, uh, best of luck to you. I know how it goes. But in any event, we're going to make it fun for you in this short episode here. Um, our issue this week is curated by Batol Almorzak, um, another longtime contributor to the R Weekly Project. And as always, she had tremendous help from our fellow R-Wiki team members and contributors like you around the world. Now, Mike, I think you somehow have an influence on this first highlight we're going to talk about because guess who was singing the praises of the COI package last week? And you must have spoken something into existence because... And we have a joint blog post for our first highlight today from El Salmon and Athanasia Momowinko about some of their various notes on implementing and using the CLI package. The CLI package, as we mentioned last week, is a terrific package that gives you very nice formatting of messages that you can print in the R console to your package users to share various messages, warnings and errors, and frankly, a heck of a lot more. And the blog post kind of goes right off the top here with a pretty provocative claim, but I see no reason to dissuade it, saying that COI is the thing for package interfaces now. And boy, I couldn't agree more. As I interface a lot of more modern shells in my Linux environments, where you can see more pretty printing of various messages and really enhancing the terminal experience, especially interfaces, mostly really on the Linux geeky side of this, an interface like HTOP, which gives you all these like performance metrics in your terminal of like CPU usage and memory usage. Well, CLI is going to give you some really nice looking messages again for your package message system that you've implemented. And it does ask, hey, if you've been doing something like this, have used this in the past? Well, they do recommend moving the CLI now, but there is a vignette on that very topic of migrating from use this, which I have used um, a bit in the past, but now CLI is definitely where I'm going to go to my my next adventures for internal packages and optimized messages. So let's get into the meat of the post, shall we? So first they talk about how you deal with certain formatting rules in CLI. And that's where you can make great use of curly braces and other brackets so that you can have these more friendly looking, you know, lists, maybe bulleted list or other alerts and making sure that you're able to put those in correctly. And this is very in tune to if you've used packages like glue in the past of inserting variables or inserting placeholders inside messages so that you can, you know, not hard code everything and make everything dynamic. And there are lots of great ways to even handle 
dealing with more than one element that you're splicing in, making things more plural. There is support in COI for making these nice things separated by commas or other separators in these lists as well. And then looking at the appearance, uh, diving into that a bit further, there's even great, uh, great sections in this post about using custom themes, custom classes to change the style a little bit. And yes, even dark themes. Yes, there is support for dark themes as well, which you might be using quite a bit in your VS Code or our Studio IDE uh, console workspaces. So really great to have that feature available. And another great part of the post is just what would you want to express with COI? Is it just a message or is it more? And a lot of the things that they recommend here start with various side effects that you might see in your operation or as a result of it. As Mike and I use Golem quite a bit, you'll often see as we create like a module or we create a new utility function, it's going to have messages in the console saying, okay, this was the file created. You can go here. It might open for you automatically, but it's giving you also some snippets you might want to paste into another part of your application or at least things to be aware of. So that's terrific to know that there may be an additional action you might need to do manually or to be aware that something's changed in your working environment. But COI is a great tool to use for messages like that. And also progress, right? What if you have a long running progress? Well, COI can tap into progress bars on how to, you know, communicate to your user that maybe that little bootstrapping thing or that, that, um, that workflow, you know, whatever it is, is going to take a bit of time. So instead of making them think that the system stalled, you can at least indicate that something is happening on the interface. And lastly, they talk about easier ways to, you know, make things a little more quiet if you need to. And there are various functions or various options you can distill or embed into your COI usage to kind of suppress some of these messages based on certain things happening. Maybe you're at an interactive R console versus like a console in batch mode. Like there are many ways that you can tweak the appearance to your, to your desire. And also you may be wondering, well, I want to actually test that the COI output I'm showing is indeed correct from what I'm expecting. And that's where they recommend looking into a framework called snapshotting for tests, which is now baked into the recent versions of test that. So there are even wrappers for that in COI, such as test that COI. They'll let you implement these kind of tests if that is important to you in terms of your maintenance and your development of the package. So this just scratches the surface, right? There are links to throughout the blog post on these vignettes that are getting into deeper dives in these various concepts. But I think COI, like I mentioned last week, any of my internal packages in the future where it's going to be something that's bootstrapping a workflow, set of files, or doing some other operations outside the typical R process that you think of, such as statistical calculations, this is going to be my go-to to make that a friendly interface and making sure that the user is aware of what's happening and where to go next in their workflow journeys. So Mike, yeah, you started quite a, quite a stir here from last week. What did you think about the summary here? 
I got no issues with keeping the CLI train rolling, and you're exactly right. Just cut and paste my monologue from last week about how much I love CLI and how important I think it is to uh, introducing real usability um, and good user experience in the R packages and tools that you're developing for others to, to sort of make it, it obvious and neat and clean uh, in terms of what is going on when they run one of your functions and you know what the issues are that they're encountering and, and, and how to solve them. But uh, again, it's such a, a rich package and API that there are always things within CLI that I don't even know about. And it was great that Mael and Athanasia were able to put this blog post together to highlight some of those. Um, Like you said, Eric, one thing that just is such a quality of life improvement is that use of of curly braces, essentially, to have that glue-like syntax so that you're not you know, pasting all sorts of different strings together. Uh, it makes it very easy to do a lot within just a single line call, leverage variables uh, in line within what you're trying to, to paste and things like that. There's a couple different types of classes uh, that you should know about that you can include within those curly braces. Um, there is a, a dot run class, which allows the message, uh, that, that portion of the message to be clickable, which is really cool. A, a dot help class, which will also have a clickable link to a help topic. Um, a dot file class, which will have a cl- clickable link to download a file, I believe. Actually, no, probably not download a file, probably navigate to that file. I think that's something that we've seen in the, the Golem package as well, and a lot of maybe the use this package as well, where you'll have a message in your console that actually has a clickable link to that file that's being talked about, um, which is so, uh, you know, it's incredible that Gabor, who, who's the author of the CLI package, as well as I'm sure many others uh, on the Posit team, and outside of that, have just made it so easy to do these things. Like I, I can't imagine how much you know Unicode handling must go into uh, you know creating the little check marks, and even within the progress bar, some of these little icons uh, within your console that show up are actually animated, which is crazy. I don't um, know how they pull that off, right? I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> If you look at, uh, I was just looking at one of the the vignettes, um, and it must be CLI progress update or CLI progress step, and it actually is this this little series of six dots that goes around and around in a circle right within your console, and it's it's head scratchingly incredible, <laughs> and I just can't believe that we have this functionality right within just a single line call within within one verb that that we can use and and it's all taken care of for us so there's really no excuse not to use the cli package uh within your error warning and message handling within your scripts or your R package. Uh, The tidyverse style guide, if you're looking at chapter nine for error messages, it it assumes that you're using the CLI package and that the tidyverse team is transitioning, they note, to use uh, the CLI package, particularly for for error message handling, um, because it makes it very easy to generate bulleted lists, uses that glue style interpolation, um, and just really provides a lot of convenience in, in terms of developing those those error messages, those warnings, and those and those uh, other messages. 
So, you know, I have no issue with another blog post this week, singing CLI's praises. Another another thing that's just such a quality of life improvement and so easy to take for granted is its support for pluralization. So if you've ever had a, uh, you know, a, a, a character vector that you want to print out and sort of collapse, but you want to have an and or an or after that last comma, um, it, it can be pretty difficult to do that or, or time consuming and lengthy syntax wise to do that using, you know, base R or, or paste or sprint F. Um, you know, within glue and CLI, it's very easy to pluralize that list and format that really, really nicely. Uh, so I, I think Eric, you, you covered a lot of the, the great components of CLI as it pertains to this blog post. I tried to hit on a few others, but really, uh, there's so much more to the package. So, so dive into the documentation, check out the vignettes and, and just get your hands dirty with CLI because it's very easy to get started with and get yourself up and running with. And I, I think you'll find, uh, some, some large quality of life improvements and improvements to your, your end users when you start to leverage the CLI package in your own work. Yeah, I can't echo enough just when you're talking about the, the progress indicators, just how much of a quality of life enhancement that is. And, you know, the vignette where they talk about advanced usage of it. Again, you can have the best of both worlds here. Optimize the experience for the interactive R console, looking at it through VS Code or, or our Studio IDE, but also in batch mode. They have ways that you can make it great for both. And boy, that's a huge win for me, where I do just as much stuff, if not more, in batch settings as I do in the interactive console. So there's lots of opportunities to really extend this and get some more advanced usage of it too. Um, and in fact, there looks like under the hood, there is a C kind of API under this. So if you're proficient in C and you want to take advantage of that even further, guess what? You can, you can do that as well. If you're the C, C or C plus plus ninja, which many of you are that listen to this very podcast. So yeah, lots of opportunities to explore COI, um, in the future. Well, Mike, as we're talking about friendly interfaces with what the CLI offers, obviously a key part of what we've been talking about for years on this very show and in the R community in general is minimizing the friction to utilize best practices for reproducible research. And one of those aspects that historically has been a major problem in the terms of publishing manuscripts and the like is not even just having the code but having the data available that was used to generate those findings. And it has been very difficult for many researchers to share the actual data that was used to perform those statistical analyses or visualizations or a combination of both in a particular manuscript. Our next highlight today is putting the spotlight on a very innovative author from the R OpenSide project that is trying to solve this for researchers around the world. This comes to us from the R Consortium blog, and in particular, they are spotlighting Mark Padgham, who is a software research scientist for R OpenSci, and his work on the deposits package. If you haven't heard of deposits package before, the goal of this package is to have a very universal, easy-to-use you know, API or client that can access these different portals for where you can add your research data and to be able to have a nice plugin-like architecture to add more of these services in the future. And as of now, as of this recording, 
It supports the Zenodo and Figshare repositories for sharing your open data, but uh, Mark does have plans to add more services via a kind of a plug-in architecture as the package goes on. And speaking of the package development, it has been funded by the R Consortium through actually two grants now. I believe he is working on his second grant as he speaks. But the blog post, you know, sits out with Mark and talks about various aspects of his journey. And certainly they'd start right off the bat by asking, you know, is it too much effort to share data for your research? Well, it does take some effort, but that's, again, where Deposits is trying to solve or eliminate most of that friction so that a researcher that's using R for their analysis could easily send this data to these you know publicly available repositories and have that easy to link to in their published research. And as I said, there is further integrations down the road to not just have these two uh, services, but more than that, and also to empower other users in the community to implement these various plugins, you might call it, to tap into these other services. So he's working on kind of a JSON-like schema that will be able to help facilitate the addition of plugins um, very easily. That's certainly a topic that's been near and dear to my heart recently in the concept of having an innovative package, but then having ways for users to contribute, like, you know, bolt on additional plugins or functionality. That's exactly the issue that Will Landau is working on with Crew right now to make it easy for users to add plugins to the Crew ecosystem for these different batch schedulers. Obviously, far different domain than this, but in the end, uh, Mark is definitely paying attention to detail on making that as easy as possible for his end users of the package to contribute back to this. Um, but yeah, it looks like he's not slowing down anytime soon, but uh, many of the R OpenSci projects, he would welcome the community support to file issues and also find ways to implement new backends, new repositories to make this an even, even a better tool for researchers to use for depositing their, their data for their manuscripts. So always great to see spotlights like this because these are kind of the unsung heroes sometimes of reproducible research, and I cannot get enough of what our open side does in this space, and it's really exciting to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, when you're talking about having tools that can can handle sort of different, different back ends in this JSON schema, it brings me back to our object-oriented programming discussion and, and talking about having sort of the same method, right, that you can apply uh, within sort of different backend use cases and handling some of those different edge cases, but making it uh, sort of invisible to the end user, making it very easy for them to navigate, which it seems like is is something that you know lines up with exactly what Mark's trying to do here with this blog post between the different sort of uh, services. Uh, Zenodo and Figshare, I think, are the, the currently supported ones for, for sharing data and depositing data on. And I guess Mark is fighting the fight against uh, the, the old adage, data available upon request, right? <laughs> which is a, a very valiant fight in academia. And I sincerely appreciate his work to get us away from that and, and get our materials, which includes not only our code, but our data uh, out in the open whenever and wherever possible. And, you know, another thing that I, I noticed about this deposits package, uh, very object oriented, R6. 
is sort of the approach that gets taken there. So you'll see that that dollar sign new instantiation to sort of start this entire workflow. But the vignettes are, are fantastic uh, that Mark has put together to walk you through essentially what the entire workflow might look like for uh, documenting and depositing uh, th this data along with the associated metadata to allow other users to be able to access it very easily. So uh, really exciting type of project. I think it's a perfect one for uh, the R Open Sci, and I, I hope that it continues to get the funding that it deserves. Um, and I'm excited to see sort of where this package goes. Yeah, see, you cannot escape object-oriented programming, right? But boy, it is a great interface and yeah, great, great tooling that Mark has, has put together here for deposits. So certainly anything to minimize that friction, minimize the burden of getting this data out there for researchers. That's really the best we can do, hopefully, as a community to to make that data <laughs> request a historical meme in the future. But right now, it's still very much in play. But hopefully, deposits can be a great way to solve that. We're getting there. We are getting there indeed. And in our last highlight, well, it is that time of year, folks. Um, yeah. And um, if you are a listener of a service called Spotify, which I'm sure many of you are, this is that time where you get your kind of curated uh, Spotify holiday list, we'll call it. And yes, you can use R to create your own version of this. And if this sounds familiar to you, guess what? Mike and I actually did a spotlight on this post last year, right around this time. And sure, we could basically read what we wrote verbatim back then, but we're going to let you listen to a callback to episode 103. So we'll be back right after our interlude here. We're in the holiday season basically now. It's the end of the year and you're probably being inundated like I am with various countdowns or top 10 lists or whatever have you. And apparently I'm not one of them, but if you use Spotify to listen to your music streaming, um, you probably received your own personalized list of your most listened to songs this year. And yes, many, many people are tweeting that out in the various social media uh, platforms. In fact, I have a link to uh, Travis Girk's uh, humorous uh, LinkedIn post about apparently a little bit of arranging and, and summarization is like the new data science hotness and in, in these summaries, I guess. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I know this can be a lot of fun. But hey, we're on the R Weekly Hollies podcast, right? How can we put a little R magic on this? Well, the very talented Nicola Rennie, a data scientist at Jumping Rivers, um, enters the Highlights podcast once again with how she pivoted from her listening habits to driving a distinctly R-Stats-flavored brapt of her most used functions in the year. Now, this was a very fun exercise in the blog post on both code in introspection and, of course, a little bit of data munging and visualization at the end. So Nicola starts of importing all of her file paths and R scripts related to her Tidy Tuesday submissions. A great way to have kind of a calendar-like uh, chronological order of how she's been using R this year. And she also utilized Nicholas Cooper's NCMISC R package, easy for me to say, with a handy function called list.functions.to.file. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But it does what it says, right? It's going to take um, a set of file paths, look at them, 
and, and literally give you a list of the functions and packages that were called in that script. So Nicola combined that with some per iteration to assemble a tidy tibble of the function frequencies, or you might say the number of times it was used in her scripts. Now, of course, this wouldn't be complete without a top-notch visualization, right? Well, of course, ggplot2 enters the game here, and Nicola proceeds to assemble an infographic of the top five functions that were called in these scripts. Now, this is quite meta in and of itself because three of the top five functions are indeed, wait for it, from ggplot2, with AES being used 47 times across her Tidy Tuesday script. So there you go. Usually Tidy Tuesday has some kind of visualization, right? So that's not very surprising, but hey, now you got quantifiable evidence in her case that ggplot2 is an MVP of her uh, Tidy Tuesday adventures. This is a really entertaining read and again, very easy to follow too. So there's ample opportunities wherever you want to do this for, say, your Tidy Tuesday submissions or something I'm thinking about. Say I have a directory of all my Shiny app code. What are the most common input widgets I use? Or what are the most common reactive constructs I use? I could see lots of fun doing that. I'm a huge fan of Spotify Wrapped. It's like one of the easiest data products ever made. It's literally <laughs> just a count and an order by. I think I saw some people last year tweeting that like Spotify Wrapped is the coolest AI I've ever seen, which is just hilarious because it's like a two-line sequel probably. Yeah, uh, Chad GBT it ain't, but hey, you know what? You got to start somewhere. I put out a tweet today that uh, I thought was great. hasn't gotten a whole lot of love, but for, for the 90s babies out there like me, we know that the original Chat GPT was Smarter Child, if you were ever on AIM. So oh, I'm just going to leave that. Just going to leave that out yeah, there. Leave that out there. Yep. <laughs> um, Chat GPT isn't isn't exciting me that much. I've seen this before. <laughs> Anywho, people absolutely love Spotify Rap, so it was really cool to see Nicola uh, implement this in an R spin. And that pipeline of functions that she uses that you mentioned, Eric, to to find the most used functions across all your R scripts in a directory. That's really useful. I can actually see myself using that maybe to try to write an internal package and understand what are some of these functions that I'm just using all of the time. Um, so it, I don't know. So I, I feel like there are a couple different uh, interesting ways that I might be able to leverage that particular logic that she's put together, which is really nice. I'm looking forward to creating my own Spotify wrapped using Nicola's code this afternoon. Um, I would love to see how my most used functions have changed over time. Ooh, I love that idea. That might be scary to look at. And probably, you know, if I looked in a year from now, it'd be a lot of movement from group buys and ungroups uh, away into the dot by argument. So we'll see. Um, one of my favorite parts of the viz that she puts together is the color change at the top that makes it look like someone took a bite out of the visual. And she does it with um, some cool sort of random number uh, generation with a, with a particular seed, as well as the cumulative sum function. Um, just really sort of brilliant code to create what looks like someone taking a bite out of the corner of the visual. So I highly recommend you checking it out. Not a ton of ggplot code, like a surprisingly small amount of ggplot code to create this beautiful visual. So I am absolutely 
excited to test it out myself and I would encourage everybody else to test it out themselves and, and toot or tweet their results. Yeah. And, and the key part is that there were no custom other programs to help with that visual, right? That was all in ggplot2, all in R itself. So yes, another win in the ggplot2 notch, if you will, for creating infographics that you would never guess were produced by R. Another fantastic visual. And yes, even these top lists are also fair game here. Really, really great read. And yeah, if I turn loose on that set of code for the R scripts I made for my dissertation, Compared to now, I don't even want to know. I oh gosh, no, I've I've not looked at that code for many many years. But it's on my hard drive here in the basement somewhere. I don't I don't have the the, the guts to look at that. But it would be a fun exercise nonetheless. Yeah, keep it tucked far far away. Yes, yes. Uh, no one's gonna hack that little NAS over there. So thank goodness. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed that little stroll down memory lane. But again, Nicola always does a fantastic job with her posts. And it's great to have an encore once in a while on the R Weekly project here. Speaking of R Weekly, there is a whole bunch to choose from in this episode of additional finds, new packages, new uses of R in industry and academia and whatnot. So Mike and I will take a couple minutes to talk about our additional highlights here. And this will be no mystery to those that have heard me recently, but I'm firmly on the WebR, WebAssembly train for a very important project. And I'm not the only one. The esteemed Colin Fay himself, the author of Golem over at ThinkR, has updated his explorations with WebR and a new blog post where he now changes how he preloads packages and functions in his WebR prototype because... George Stegg at Posit has released version WebR 0.2.2, which has a very important new feature because now you can mount the WebAssembly file system as part of the JavaScript backend that you can tap into. In particular, this is called Emscripten's FS.mount, I believe. Again, I'm learning all this on the fly here. But this opens up a lot of possibilities for how you can inject files such as binary installations of our packages into the same project file store uh, file space instead of trying to mount them individually one by one downloading online. So this is all part of an effort to make it much faster to get these WebR powered uh, shiny apps or anything depending on WebR up and running very quickly. There's still more work to be done, but it's great to see people like Colin Fay. I've also been watching Bob Rudis explore this space quite a bit heavily in his recent Mastodon toots. So there's a lot happening in this space. So again, uh, great job, Colin, for pushing the envelope even further with the rapidly developing uh, ecosystem of WebR. And uh, Mike, what did you find? You can't blink. You might miss something going on in the WebR ecosystem. That's that's awesome. So I found, and I can't believe I haven't found this before, but this this resource called Healthy R, which is R for health data and data science, and it looks like it's put together by a few folks who work at. Let me get it right here. Um, it looks like Sarah Elliott potentially. And a, a, it's a partnership maybe between the University of Edinburgh and the Usher Institute. 
And there's this phenomenal website called healthyr.surgicalinformatics.org. And it is complete with uh, links to a full book that has been written uh, that's published on the CRC Press called R for Health Data Science. It has links to uh, long demos and videos about doing uh, R within health data science. There's a whole Quarto workshop there are uh, videos and, and GitHub repositories. There's a Healthy R Advent calendar there. There are notebooks, uh, cheat sheets. It's an incredible amount of, of resources for anybody who works within the, the health data science uh, ecosystem and leverages R. So I would highly recommend folks check out sort of this, this wealth of resources that may be interesting to you. And, and hats off to the folks sort of behind, you know, not only the work here, but this beautiful website wrapping it, it all together. Oh, wow. I, I love it. I was pulling this up as you were talking, and this is extremely powerful, extremely handy if you're in any kind of health related field and want to use R, this is a terrific place to start. Yes, I will be definitely keeping an eye on this. Um, both, uh, you know, great content in and of itself, but also the way they organize it. Yeah, this, this is top notch stuff. So certainly I'll be keeping an eye on that quite a bit. Yeah, it looks like that the team runs some training. They have a two and a half day quick start course on statistical tests, data wrangling, time to event data like Cox regression, and then a, a one-day course on practical logistic regression. So um, maybe something that, that might be very interesting to you and your organization if you operate in this space. Absolutely. And it looks like they are quite active on their GitHub repos as well. So they're sharing it all in the open too, just like a lot of things we talk about here on our weekly. So that's a Terrific additional find, Mike, and certainly we could talk on and on about the rest of the issue here, but we're going to leave that for you to explore. And where can you find that? That is always at rweekly.org. The latest issue is always right there on the front page. And of course, you can check out the back catalog if you missed anything recently. There's a lot of great issues. And in fact, it's great to go back because we didn't have a chance to cover all the recent issues due to yours truly a haphazard schedule here. So there's definitely a lot to catch up on. And we love hearing from you, too. So if you have feedback that you want to share with us, you got a few ways of doing that. One of which is for the RWiki project itself. If you find an additional resource, a blog, new package, please send us a pull request. And we will update the next, the next issue's draft with that content. It's all marked down all the time. Very easy to get started and up and running. All the details are at rweekly.org to contribute to the project. And certainly if you're interested in becoming a curator for the project, we definitely have openings and can really use your help. So feel free to send us a shout on the GitHub repository that's right there in the upper right corner of the index page, and you'll be able to get in touch with us that way too. And you can also send us a fun little boost if you're listening to those modern podcast apps like Podverse, Fountain, Castomatic, Podfans, there's a whole bunch of these. And you can also get in touch with us with a contact form submission. That's in the episode show notes. And also, we are crawling a bit on the social media portals. You can find me with at our podcast at podcastindex.social, as well as a little bit on LinkedIn from time to time. And I will also link to its quote-unquote official now that uh, next Monday, December 11th, at the time of recording this, I will be part of a 
webinar in joint combination with the FDA on some of our recent Shining for Submissions work. And I'll have a link to the announcement blog post for that in the show notes here. And uh, Mike, where can the listeners get a hold of you? That's awesome, Eric. I will be sure to tune into that. And you can uh, find me on Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org or on LinkedIn as well. If you you check out Catchbrook Analytics, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K, you'll find me there. Awesome stuff. And um, yeah, like you said, Mike, it's hard to believe December is winding down here. So I'm sure we'll have a at least a couple more episodes before we'll have our year-end break, but certainly it's uh, been, been a lot of fun to start reminiscing on what an awesome year it's been with our content we've been able to banter about um, every almost every single week, except for your true haphazard schedule. But nonetheless, we're going to close up shop here, and we will hopefully see you for another episode of our weekly highlights next week.